Welcome to Radius Church. This is our fourth virtual service together, and I want to give you a couple announcements before we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is Easter week starting today, and so uh, over the course of the week, we got a variety of things going on. Tomorrow morning, you'll get an email in your email box. Uh, it'll be from us beginning what we're going to call before and after, just a week of devotionals that we can all do together. There's also a little projects going on in all of our permanent locations. So in front of the building that you attend, uh, Irmo, you'll actually join with Lexington. There's, there's a mural going up. And on one side of the mural, you'll see the words uh, before. And on the other side, you see the words after. And really what we're just doing is we're celebrating how we've been changed from who we were before the cross, Christ, and who we are after And so what we're asking everybody to do, we're going to really try to obey what our city expects. We're asking you to make a couple signs. You could take a cheap piece of cardboard like I did and and write who you were before Christ. Insecure I have on here. Uh, It could be plastic for those of y'all that are artsy. It could be uh, beautiful. It could be a piece of wood, preferably a thinner piece of wood than the one that I have right here. Uh, And then we want you to write something on the... uh, other side, on the after side. So before Christ, insecure, after, confident in Christ. We're going to have somebody come by every day with a nail gun and nail those up onto that mural and and create this great mural of radius people and who we were before and after Christ. Friday night, we're going to host what we do every year, uh, a Good Friday service. It'll be at 7 p.m. It'll be live, and we'd love for you to tune in. It's going to be kind of unique because we're going to ask you to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion in your home. So make sure to have some juice and, and some bread. And with your family, we're actually going to lead you through the process of celebrating a death, celebrating the death of Christ. We call it Good Friday. Easter, we'll get together at 9 and 11, and we're going to do something really simple. We're going to give a very brief and direct gospel message. So I would love it if you would begin right now thinking who you can virtually invite to that service. So maybe five people that you can send an email and say, hey, how about joining me at Radius on Sunday and uh, watching this brief service, and then maybe we can chat afterwards. That's at 9-11. For all of you Radius people, I'm giving you a rain check right now. When all of this is over, when we can meet together again, we are going to throw a massive Easter service. You can break out your Easter dress if you want, if it's one month, two months, three months away, or, or whatever you got to do to be ready. We're going to have a huge party uh, whenever we get back together again to cel- celebrate Easter. I'm about to pass this over to Russell. I'll be back with you at the end of this, and we'll ask a couple questions that you can discuss in your living room. When I was a kid growing up, we used to go to Gilmer, Texas on the third weekend of October to celebrate the Yamboree. The Yamboree is a celebration of the yam or the sweet potato, and that, that whole thing was complete with carnival rides and, and funnel cakes and yam pie contest and even a yam queen, and I had a couple of cousins who were the yam queen, and it topped all off with a parade, and that parade would have floats and the yam queen would ride in and she would be waving and celebrating her achievement. There were sophisticated themes and the the floats were ornate and the dresses were beautiful. But as a kid, I'll be honest with you, most of that was lost on me. I was only concerned with one thing. 
and that was getting candy that was thrown from those floats. You see, as I was focused on what the parade could do for me and focused on the candy, I was missing the queen. On Palm Sunday today, the, the week before Easter, the Sunday before Easter, it's a celebration of parade of sorts. It's the day that marks Jesus coming into Jerusalem and really setting off the final week of his life. And as he comes into the town and this parade, if you will, we call it the triumphal entry. He's riding a donkey. The people are shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. But as you'll see here in a minute, even though the parade is supposed to honor Jesus, people end up being focused on some other things. In the same way that I was only concerned about the candy and missed the queen, I think there are several people at the triumphal entry, this parade for Jesus, that missed the king. Let's take a look at John chapter 12 and start reading in verse 9. It says this, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail the King of the Jews! Or Hail the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. And that was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Did you see it? I mean, clearly this is about Jesus and his march into Jerusalem, this parade, but there are groups of people here that, that miss it. Let's take a deeper look and see if we can see these groups. The first one we find in verses 9 and verse 18. It says, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus the man Jesus had raised from the dead. And again in verse 18, that was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they heard about this miraculous sign. I think John's trying to let everyone know that people were coming and they were there to see Lazarus, and who wouldn't want to see a man raised from the dead? It was almost like they were looking for an encore. They were looking for another sign, but they, they missed Jesus. There's another group here. It's the the Pharisees, the religious elite, the leading priests. Look at it in verse 10. It says, Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. And then in verse 19, Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. They're frustrated. They, they see the crowds are making much of Jesus and all of his miracles, and they want the crowd to make much of them. This is a little ironic because these are the very people who should be pointing people to Jesus but they're so focused on themselves, they miss him. Then there's a, 
another crowd in verse 13. It says, they took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And at first blush, it might look like these crowds have it, but here's the problem. They're, they're really only looking to Jesus to meet their selfish need, which is we want to be out from under Rome and its authority. And so as they say king of Israel, they're really missing it, that Jesus isn't just the king of Israel. He's the king of the world. It's not just a selfish endeavor for them. And then finally, my favorite, verse 16. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Disciples don't even know they're at a parade. They have nothing, they don't even know what they're supposed to be looking for, and they completely miss the moment. Here in a moment, you're going to hear from Ross at Irmo, Ryan at Rocky Creek, Trey at Saluda, and Derek from White Knoll. And as we walk through this passage, this is our prayer for you. We don't want you to miss Jesus. We don't want you to miss him this Easter, this Holy Week, this Good Friday. We know that there are so many distractions out there, so many things that could cause us to turn our attention to COVID-19 or social distancing or spring break trips that were canceled, and the list goes on. We don't want that to be our focus. We want our focus this Palm Sunday, this Holy Week, this Easter, to be on the greatest event ever, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as you listen my hope is that you will turn your heart, turn your affections, turn your mind to Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. In that, in that vein, I'm going to pray for us now. We're going to sing a song and see if we can begin to turn our hearts to, to him. Let me pray for us. Father, that is truly our desire. And I think I can speak on behalf of all of the pastors who are going to preach here in just a moment, that we don't want to miss your son, Jesus Christ. And so in the middle of all of this social distancing and shelter in place and whatever else, Lord, I pray that that wouldn't distract us from the greatest event in history, which is you sending your son, his death, burial, and resurrection to give us life. Turn our hearts to you and to your son and what he accomplished. And let us bring honor and glory to you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hosanna, king of Israel. This is what the people shouted at Jesus as he came down the street that faithful day. It may have seemed like genuine worship, but in truth, they were just sending a clear message to Jesus, a message that he was, in essence, their choice in the upcoming primaries, if you will, their elected official that they were trusting to make the changes that they wanted to be made. And in their eyes, everything he had done to that point was not the foundation of an everlasting ministry, but rather proof that he should be the people's choice and helping them overcome the oppression of Rome. But in their quest to make him their local neighborhood king, they didn't realize that he was actually the king of the universe, the king of all creation. They didn't realize that they couldn't elect who had already been elected, not in the voting booth of public opinion, but in a voting booth far, far away, where there's only one vote that's cast and one vote that matters, and that's God's. And that he was making his current journey 
not to remove their people from the oppression of Rome, but to remove all people from the oppression of sin and death. In calling him king of Israel, their failure was that their view of him was too individualistic and not universal or global. An individualistic view of God will always lead to unrealistic expectations from God. I'm going to say it again. An individualistic view of God will always lead to unrealistic expectations from God. And because they viewed him individually, their expectations from him were unrealistic because they only wanted him to save them. Just them, not the Romans who were oppressing them, not the Gentiles, not the Africans, not the Asians, just them. And when he did not meet their expectations, this same group of people that yelled, Hosanna, King of Israel today, just in a week later would yell, crucify him. That's why in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching them to pray, look at his verbiage and the things that he says. Jesus says, listen to this, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, give us the daily bread, forgive us of our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Jesus was teaching them to pray universally or simply to pray with others in mind. It will bless your prayer life. It will bless your walk with God. It will bless your godly perspective just to know that he is our father. Not just the father of the black, but also the father of the white. He's the father of the Democrat and the Republican. He's the father of the Presbyterian, the Methodist, the Lutheran, the non-denominational. He's the father of the rich and the father of the poor. Notice the pronouns that Jesus uses when he prays. I hope we pray like this. The pronouns that he uses, he says, our, us, and we, not I, mine, and me. It's sin in our hearts that we all have to fight. The same selfishness that caused them to view Jesus as their king still plagues us to this very day. When I was 10 years old, I came to my father and I said, Dad, look, all of my shoes, as a matter of fact, every shoe I've ever had, every pair of shoes has either come from pick and pay, pay less, Walmart or Kmart. I want some Nikes. And of course, he told me no. And then I go to my room, I sit on the bed and I start crying. Sometime later, he comes in the room and he sits beside me and he says, son, do you know why you're not going to get those shoes? I said, no. I said, tell me why. He said, because I'm not going to go down to the Nike store and buy four pairs of shoes that cost $100 a piece. You have three brothers and sisters. And so I need you to remember, as my son, I need you to remember that you're not the only one. And it changed my perspective. It changed the way I related to my father. It changed the way I asked for things just to know that I wasn't the only one, that he was our father. As we deal with the coronavirus, as our families deal with the effects of the coronavirus, let us not forget to think of others. Let us not forget to help others. Let us not forget to pray for others. Why? Because he's our father. God's love is too global to be local. 
It is too wide to be narrowed. It is too international to be domestic. And it is too universal to just be Israel's. He's our father. Jesus was headed into Jerusalem with lots of fanfare and lots of noise. People had palm branches in their hands and they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know, and they were talking big language like this guy, Jesus, is the king. And the the disciples are looking at all this and they're saying, this is just right. This is exactly how the people should be behaving. They They should be celebrating Jesus. They should be treating Jesus as the king. They should be putting out the carpet so that even, even he doesn't have to touch the pavement. They should be treating him this way, treating him like a king. Finally, they're treating Jesus like the king he really is, except for this one thing, the donkey. He's, he's riding in on a, on a donkey. You know, that, that kind of messes up the scene a little bit because Jesus has got all the, all the fanfare and he looks like he's in triumphal procession. And, and then you just got, you know, the the donkey. Why is the donkey in the scene? The disciples are befuddled. It says in verse 16 that they didn't even understand these things until later. What is the deal with the donkey? It would be like us welcoming the president of the United States down Main Street in Lexington, and we all get together for a parade, and we all have our, our horns, and, we're, and we've got our, you know, things we're waving, and we're yelling, and we're so excited, and then the president comes riding in on a moped. Now, that, that would just kind of ruin the moment, and the disciples themselves were befuddled by this, and they, they couldn't understand. They, they couldn't see. They couldn't see what the donkey represented. And it wasn't till later, it wasn't till later when they got back to reading their Bibles that they ran across, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verses which prophesied that the king would come riding on a donkey. Verse 15 is a quotation of Zechariah 9. Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's Colt. He took the donkey because he meant to take the donkey. He took the donkey because he was fulfilling prophecy. And isn't it so cool that Jesus was able to fulfill this and so many other prophecies to ground our faith in reality, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that we can trust him. The donkey represents fulfilled prophecy. But I think also the donkey represents something else. Imagine yourself to be the donkey owner. And this story is told in Matthew 21. Imagine yourself to be the donkey owner and the disciples come to you and they say, hey, can we have your donkey? Uh, Why do you want my donkey? No, you can't have my donkey. Who's wanting to take my donkey? And, And the response was, according to Jesus, Jesus said, respond this way, the Lord wants it. The, the Lord? Who, who wants my donkey? Why do you want to take my donkey? Why, why is this so important to you to have this? This is my only mode of transportation. Jesus already going into Jerusalem, exercising his kingly authority and taking people's donkeys. What's up with that? You see, Jesus shows himself to be Lord over our stuff. And the donkey doesn't just represent fulfilled prophecy. The donkey represents our things. And Jesus 
will sometimes take and ask from us things that we have. You know, this is not a story like the story of the alabaster jar when somebody just pours out at Jesus' feet oil or perfume. It's not that story. That's a story about extravagant giving. This is a story about Jesus taking. Because sometimes he thinks he needs something you have. And he wants it for his own seating arrangements. And he wants it for his own glory. So that he has something to sit on as the crowds glorify, magnify him. Are you going to be okay with that? We're in a season right now, COVID-19, we're in a season right now where God is doing some taking. He's, he's, he's shifting things around. He's moving wealth. And he may ask you for something. Are you going to be okay with that? Are you going to give him your donkey? That donkey represents fulfilled prophecy, and that donkey represents our stuff. And when God asks of you for your donkey, I want you to say, With Job, when God was taking things from Job in the Bible, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many people deserted them and they were believed in Jesus. And if you just... Jump down to verse 19, it says, Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone is going after him. It doesn't take much to see that the chief priest and the Pharisees are mad. Because up until this point, they were the spiritual leaders for the Jewish nation. They were the ones that had studied the law. They were the ones that were doing the sacrifices and making for atonement in the temple. They were the ones that people would come to for wisdom. And now that Jesus has came on the scene, some of their people that they had been shepherding are starting to follow Jesus. And to them, this was a threat. So that's why they wanted to kill him, because Jesus was a threat to their authority. When people wanted advice, they always came to them and to the temple. When people wanted to know more about God and how to grow in their relationship and how to um, stay within the law that they were given, they would seek them out. But then now there's Jesus. Jesus was a threat to their rituals because up until this point, if they needed something done, they went to them. If they were wanting to follow the law, they would seek them out. And now Jesus comes along and he tells them that it's not just good enough to follow the law outwardly, but we have to follow, follow the law inwardly. And then he was a threat to their agendas. Because of who they were, their status in the community was made higher because of their religious power within the community. And they used that to their political gain and not only that, to their monetary gain. If you're like me, When you look at the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the chief priests, there's a lot of judgment. How could you be the ones that wanted to kill Jesus? Like, I think just to myself, like, come on, man. You are the people that have been waiting your whole life for the Messiah to show up, the promised one to walk this earth, like Derek said earlier. They were the ones that had spent so many hours and so much time memorizing some of the Torah and trying to keep the law as good as they can. And now the moment that Jesus walks the earth, the Messiah in the flesh, they want to kill him instead of lead people to him. But I say that as we hear that, let it sink in to each and every one of us individually. Because it was the church people, the ones that were against Jesus. And if we aren't careful, we could easily do the same. 
If we don't continually daily allow Jesus into our hearts to to continue to penetrate our souls and change us from the inside to the out and continue to be our saving grace and our transformation, then we can go on and be religious just like them. See, the problem that we have is that Jesus not only was a threat to them, but the truth is he's a threat to us because we constantly have this strain between our will versus Jesus' will. You think about our days, how we have our agendas, and we cling to what we want to do, and we pack our weeks full of school or ball games or, or work or anything else, and instead of making the prime time to be for devotion, quiet times even rest or fellowship. We have to make this choice of following Jesus or our desires of our heart. And right now it seems to be that the biggest desire of everybody out there is toilet paper. But we have to make that choice. Am I going to follow to the will of God or am I going to build up possessions all around me instead of taking in this time some of my funds to be able to help those around me? But not only that, we have to decide are we going to do what God wants us to do and, or step out of our bubble and be willing to love the people that might not look like us, that might not speak like us, to have an impact on the radius around us. I remember one time me and my wife were going to the beach, and they had just put in I-22 off of 501. And if you've ever been down that way and you look, there's a road right before you get on the on-ramp to I-22 that looks like it's the turn. And I'm driving down the road, and my wife's next to me, and we had a carpool of people behind us following my lead to the beach. And I get over to the right-hand lane to take the turn. My wife says, no, that's not the turn. You have to go to the next one. I said, baby, I am right. I love you, but I'm a man. I'm right. Trust me. So I take that turn and everybody follows behind me and come to find out I was wrong. Because of my unwillingness to admit that I could be the problem, I led other people down the wrong route. My prayer for us today is that if we aren't careful and continually let Jesus penetrate our heart and transform us, that we'll become just like the chief priests and the Pharisees. Religious people that are leaving, leading people away from Jesus Christ. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. I want you to imagine for a moment that Lazarus is from your hometown. Maybe you're a guy and you and Lazarus grew up playing Little League Baseball together. Maybe you used to date one of his sisters. You and Martha dated in the 10th grade. Maybe you're a lady and you were friends with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha growing up. So you were in and out of their home all the time, getting to know their family, spending time with their family. Either way, your family is close to his family and Lazarus has just passed away. He's given in to his sickness and he has died. And so you do what friends do. You go to their house and you comfort them. You grieve with them, you console them. Maybe you even set up a meal train for them so that they're taken care of over the next few weeks. And four days after Lazarus has passed, a crowd begins to gather at the grave of Lazarus and you are there in the crowd. And Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. 
Jesus was a friend of Lazarus too. And he shows up and says, Lazarus, come out. And you look around thinking, did he just tell Lazarus to come out? Maybe you even laugh a little under your breath. Maybe you snicker to the person beside you. This guy's been dead for four days. He's not coming out. But you heard Jesus correctly. He looks at the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And listen, the reason he says Lazarus, the reason he's specific, the reason he just doesn't say come out is because if he does that, all the dead bodies might come out. That's the type of power that Jesus has in his voice. But at his command for Lazarus to come out, you see the ground start to shake a little bit. You see the dirt above the grade starts to break apart a little bit. And all of a sudden, two hands are coming out of the dirt. You can't believe your eyes. Lazarus is coming out of the grave. Now, if you saw this, if you were an eyewitness to this event, would you tell others about it? And the answer to that question is 100% yes. You would tell others about it. Some of you see a cat do some dumb trick on YouTube and you can't wait to share it with 50 people. And so if you saw your dead friend come up out of the grave and dust himself off like he had just slid into second base, you better believe you're telling other people about it. In fact, if you could get your phone out fast enough to record it, you would record it, you would share it, you would send it, and it would be viral in about five minutes. And so, yes, you would tell others about this event that you had seen. What if you lived two miles away from this event? What if you lived two miles down the road in Jerusalem and you heard this story? You heard about this man named Jesus, the one that calls people out of their grave, and he's coming to your town. He's coming to Jerusalem. And not only is he coming to your town, he's bringing the dead, alive guy, Lazarus, with him. Wouldn't you want to go out and see what this man is going to do next? Well, that's exactly what's happening here in our passage this morning. The crowd from Lazarus' hometown that had seen him come back to life and the crowd two miles down the road in Jerusalem where they are headed are in a frenzy to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. The people, the crowd are worked up into an absolute frenzy. Verse 18, that was the reason so many people went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign and they wanted to see more. That was the reason the crowd was gathering. They wanted to see more. They wanted to see Jesus do more. Jesus had called a dead corpse back to life. What's he gonna do next? What's he gonna do for an encore? The crowd was there to see another miracle, but they're missing their Messiah. The crowd is there to see another show, but they're missing the showman. The crowd is there to see another sign, but they're missing the greatest sign of all, the resurrection of Jesus. They're gonna be so preoccupied looking at other things and looking for other things, they're gonna miss the resurrection of Jesus. People were looking for a sign from Jesus when he was being flogged before he went to the cross. They were blindfolding him and they were hitting him saying, who hit you that time if you know so much? People were looking from a sign from Jesus as he hung on the cross. Look at you now, they yelled. If you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Always looking for Jesus to do more, to prove more. Another sign, another miracle, even those closest to Jesus, his very own disciples. 
We traveled with him and studied under him and witnessed him do incredible things are going to miss so much of what is happening that first Easter. The people are so preoccupied and consumed with looking for other things and looking at other things, they're going to miss the resurrection. They're going to miss Easter. So why does any of this matter for us? On Palm Sunday, 2020. And this is why I think it matters for us. It matters because if we aren't careful, we will miss Easter this year. There won't be any big crowds this Easter. There won't be a frenzy. There won't be any dressing up for church. There won't be any large neighborhood egg hunts. There won't be any big worship services. Our church parking lots won't be crowded next Sunday. And we can be so preoccupied with what we're missing out on that we might actually miss Easter. We might be so consumed with looking at COVID-19 and this virus and everything that's being taken from us that we might be in danger of missing out on the celebration that is Easter. We're gonna be tempted towards being depressed and being frustrated and being discouraged that we're missing out on what our normal Easter looks like. But let me remind you this morning, you aren't missing Easter. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive. And he is in complete control. And we're gonna celebrate that truth this Easter. We're going to celebrate with our families as we worship in our homes. We're going to celebrate as we slow down enough this week to realize that this story of Easter is personal. He died for my sin and he died for your sin. And his resurrection gives us hope that we don't have anything on this earth to fear, virus and death included. So you've heard five different men this morning try to implore you, try to remind you not to miss Jesus, not to miss Easter this year. And we wanna help you do that. Our staff has put together a five-day Holy Week devotional for you that's gonna help you turn your heart and your mind to the death, burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. And so you'll get some more details about how you can access that from John. We're gonna worship with one more song this morning, but let me pray for us before we do that. Join me as we pray. Lord, our lives, um, really our normal life has been turned upside down. And with that can come some anxiety and some worry, some problems that we're not used to dealing with, Lord, we want to come to you this morning and we want to anchor ourselves to you and the hope that we have in you. And Lord, as we do that, we see worry start to slip away. We start to see anxiety slip away. And so Lord, would you help us not to miss you this Easter? Would you help us to point other people that don't have the hope that we have to point them to you? And so we we trust you with this Easter that looks like no other Easter we've ever experienced. We trust you with it, that you will meet us where we are. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. I really enjoyed worshiping with you guys again this Sunday, though it be virtually.
I want to leave you with a couple questions. The one that really stood out to me as I listened to Derek and Trey specifically was, I wonder if at times Radius Church, if, if we can get caught up in worshiping the worship, if we're actually more excited about how we feel when we hear a song than we are about focusing on Jesus. Throughout history, music's been a great way to worship, but it's not the core of worship. The core of worship is for us to really fix our eyes on Jesus. So I'd love it if you, you in your living room or at your kitchen table, wherever you are right now, if you as a family would take a moment and pray out loud one at a time a very simple sentence or multiple sentences that tell who Jesus is. It's the truth about God. So you could say something like, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you love me. You could say, Jesus, I know that you're eternal. But there will just be these clear statements, no music, just clear statements of worship around your table. It would be a powerful exercise if you take a couple minutes and do it. Let me remind you of a couple other things. We've got this wall that we're putting in front of each of our locations. Take a few minutes to talk about before and after you believed in Jesus. And if you're not sure where you're on that line, that's an interesting conversation in and of itself, and that would be really powerful. And then the other thing I'd love for you to think about if you're a Radius partner is who are the five people that I would like to invite to a virtual service next Sunday? Let me just say, I, we love you. I would love to see you. Uh, but we'll look forward to seeing you on Friday night and on Easter Sunday. We'll have a good time together virtually. At the end of all this, we are going to throw a massive Easter party. You can break out your, your best clothes, and we're going to celebrate who Christ is. Finally, if you're a partner, I sent you a really important email on Thursday. I'd love it if you take a few minutes to look at it. We love y'all.